0: Everybody. Thanks for joining us on another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts, Lewis Cleland and Clark Burrow. On the show this week, we are absolutely delighted to welcome another guest. As always, if you see it on Instagram at a wee bit of everything podcast or Twitter at burrow underscore mister or um, at Cleland Lewis 94 we'd be grateful if you could give us a wee share or a retweet helping us to get the podcast out there. Um, so that others can get the content and listen in as well and hopefully take some things from it, like myself and Clark have been doing. So what's in store for us today?
1: No, I've been pretty impressed by the by the comments we've been getting on, on Twitter and stuff. So it seems to be reaching a lot of people um over the last couple of weeks or less. so hopefully we can keep building on it through this lockdown that we've just been placed in and we should have a bit of good news coming up soon as well with um a partnership. So no, it's all looking good on this side. This week in the blog the podcast, Lewis, we're delighted to welcome Paul McMillan onto the show. Paul is a lecturer in the PE programme at the University of Edinburgh. He is passionate about teaching, the complex nature of it, and how lesson study may play a role in developing further teacher's practice. We're about to hear about the key insights from his research and how he has worked with teachers using this approach. We are both really looking forward to to this one, therefore I think it's about time we get Paul onto the show.
2: Right, how are you doing Paul? Yeah, very, very good, lovely to meet both of you, I'm really excited to be on uh, on, on the podcast as well.
1: Yeah, we've nice. been emailing back and forward and uh, it's good to eventually have you on. Um, thanks for joining us today to, join, uh, sorry, to share your experience and knowledge around the use of lesson study. As a way to improve teaching and learning,
2: no worries. I'll do my best.
1: I'll do my best. Yes. So, but diving right into it then, can you tell us and the listeners a little background information on your career to date?
2: Yeah, no worries. That's a great start. I used to think I had quite an interesting career until, or uh, well, career path until the last three, four years. And then I've heard other people's career paths and thought, that's oh, pretty straightforward, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a teacher, a P teacher to trade. Um, and was part of the, the uh, B.Ed program at uh, Edinburgh University in to 2003 and then worked in school as a PE teacher for six years, uh, really enjoyed that, and it was just at the point where I was looking for a new challenge in, in school or, or around school or outside of school still related to education, uh, and a um, seconded uh, PE um, lecturer and um, teacher fellow role, came up at the University of Edinburgh and I applied, and and got that and I worked there in um, various roles and seconded teacher and then um, mainstream teaching fellow there um, which I really enjoyed and it was just the exact challenge that I was looking for at that, that time of my life, that age that I was at um, and in 2013 I just basically had a golden opportunity, I applied for a PhD scholarship, uh, it was fully funded um, And in 2013 and I, I got that and I started off doing that full-time and um, that full-time commitment to that was just a, another new challenge, I guess, and a new uh, chance to learn about a completely new area for me, really. Um, enjoyed that, did that full-time for two years, and then carried on for another two to three years part-time um, as I started to re-engage with working at the university and so on. And that PhD sort of changed my work life, really. Um, ended up um, in that sort of two to three-year period of data collection spending, um, just about every day or two I was hanging out with a teacher for a whole day or sometimes two days and um, just tracking them so I ended up tracking six teachers over the course of uh, basically over, for over a calendar year um, and um, basically the unstructured qualitative observation work um, about what they were doing every single day uh, in the practice. And all that. Um, sorry
1: Paul, see just, see just on that, see for any teachers that are listening in who maybe want to do a PhD What's that like, trying to balance the, the both of them between your work
2: and uh, it's five tough. years? Um, five yeah. years. That, that was full-time uh, for about two years, and then I, I shifted on to part-time when I was working full-time. So was basically full-time PhD, part, full-time working. Yeah. Uh, although the PhD was part-time, it takes over your life to be the extent of a full-time job. Um, so that, that was tough. Loads of people say, oh, I'm thinking about doing a PhD, would you recommend it? And I always say, I'm not going to advise you on that. It's... It's your short call. I wouldn't want to be responsible for uh, suggesting it be a good move for you. But, yeah, yeah, it's tough going. But um, it's probably the only time I've ever done any type of study that's actually felt like I had ownership of it. Um, All the rest of the time, I felt I was answering everyone else's questions and reading everyone else's suggested readings. So as much as it is a challenge to fit it in, and it is uh, at times uh, draining on your uh, steam uh, in terms of learning to that degree. Um, Do you find it it's enjoyable? Yeah.
1: Do you find that um the area study that you pick is already part of your daily job anyway it 's not over and above, so it 's part of what you've be doing what you'd be doing anyway yeah
2: yeah i would i'm just really passionate i 'll talk maybe in the in the podcast too i'm really I'm passionate about teachers and teaching I'm, I, I work in higher education now, but I still see myself um, as a teacher I still connect back to and um, what it's like to be a teacher and understand, I think, research from their perspectives as well, and try and capture and respect teachers as part of that. So, uh, I've always had that passion for it. Um, and so, sort it's of just, I guess, I was in dreamland um, spending time. How much do you, UP you, you teachers yourselves, how much time do you get to go properly spend in another school watching other teachers that you know or don't know at all and hanging out yeah. for a long period of time to watch what they're doing? So, um, that observation in terms of. That was great to do to write about and to share the findings of it and the variety of ways that they interact with kids and the relationships they build but I just learned a lot about it and and um, I just learned a lot about teaching and I try and share that um, from that study with the students that I'm working with now as well and um, so that's been again a big a big shift in my own like work life I, I just really enjoy working in higher education and I feel like got that connection back to teachers as a teacher but also from Mm -hmm. uh, doing PhD with teachers trying to get their perspectives on on their everyday practice Uh, sharing that was uh, and understanding that was just a real passion of mine Uh, and then I got a lectureship job um, applied for a a few uh, lecturing posts between um, down south over in Ireland and uh, uh, Edinburgh as well and I managed to get one of those in in Mm 2017 so that's the that's the career path at the moment Um, I used to think it was quite Quite windswept and interesting, but um, after hearing other people's journeys, it's it's, it's pretty pretty plain, really.
1: Sounds as if you've been a busy man. Sometimes
2: it's it was a busy spell. There was a few busy spells in there, um, but things are are still busy, but just different type of busy. So yeah, it
1: sounds as if um, from the last ep- uh, last guest we had on, he's he was a, f- a football coach, Blaine McKenna, and He said that it's important to get out and observe other coaches because it can uncover blind spots, and I'm sure you'll come on to something about that later on um, as part of your research but that just came into my head there when you were talking about getting an opportunity to go out and visit other teachers I'd love to be able to do that as well just
2: to. Yeah, that, that was the purpose of it, it was all about trying to say um, let's go see what other teachers are doing and let's look at it, what I called naturalistic inquiry, let's not go with my agenda, let's not ask you to implement something that I want, let's not do an experiment and then report on what that was let's just go and have a look at what you're doing from your perspective and in the early days of observation teachers were saying what do you want me to do and i'll say well just do what you're going to do whether I was there or not and people always say oh but you were there so they might have put on a show but because i was there with them for over a year i guess and was with them so often it's quite hard to keep a show going for that long yeah. um, so yes yeah, so you ended up getting the sort of good stuff and the and, and the stuff that wasn't so good and um, i just got the real sort of warts and all of teachers everyday practice and that's what i wanted to do and give a bit of a a resource about what highly competent teachers might do uh, and how they operate i guess i guess um
0: you've been able to take a lot from that to take back to your colleagues and stuff at the uni obviously to help improve the courses like just examples of really good practice in that i would imagine you would have seen yeah some
2: some of our assignments are about analyzing some of the um observations that I did so I'll say here's a snapshot from this teacher what do you see what um, sort of ecological factors as an individual the environment the task what might have shaped or um, hindered or constrained them to work in a particular way and the students have got to sort of second guess what yeah. the decisions the teacher made what might because you can't tell really it's uh it's all sort of in the background so I'm busy get students to try and unpack that mm-hmm. now that's that's one one example of uh how that sort of feeds back in but you just that drives some of the courses we do in first year, second year, fourth year, as does other colleagues work too. Um, yeah. So that's such an important part of keeping it, trying to keep it real with teachers and what they do and, and acknowledging that teacher perspective is quite important to me. So, mm-hmm.
1: so moving on to a sort of broader kind of outlook on PE as it sits as a subject in schools, how, how do you believe it's you know such a complex subject to teach and, why is this an important issue for schools and for young people?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, great question. Um, I think all teaching is complex. Um, I think um, lots of people have argued that. I'm not the first person to say, you know, what teaching is really, really complex in terms of um, what happens and what unfolds and the unpredictable nature of that uh, in, in a classroom and PE or any other subject area for that matter. So. Um, I'm not the first person to say that but I think it's really important that we acknowledge it and that's one of my uh, great pieces of passion uh, in terms of research and sharing that with students And, and if you just consider the pupils just for a few seconds here you think you've got a variety of pupils let's just say 15 to 20 to 25 pupils in your class all coming from different backgrounds with different interests with different motivations with different experiences in PE Um, with different histories together as a group of class kids inside and outside of school, think of that combination, that mixture of different individuals that come together, throw the teacher into that, um, and you've got a bit of an unpredictable, uh, possibly volatile situation that might be on your hands. Um, So I think acknowledging that is really, really important um, if you think about that. In general, and then you put PE on top of that. I'm not saying PE is any more complex or complicated than any other subject here, but if you just think of the spaces where PE happens, in terms of um, kids might be really quite closely compacted together, or they might be spread out over the course of a playing field, they might be in a swimming pool, they might be elsewhere. Uh, so just trying to manage that and um, try to sort of steer that learning journey of kids. In general, but also in the different PE spaces where PE happens, um, is as a complex task. It's uh, it's not straightforward. Um, there's no straightforward solutions, and I think um, any ideas that teachers can have a one size fits all to the practice, I think, is, um, is is a little bit disrespectful to the task and the complexity yeah. of that.
1: Yeah, I think so, I think when you've got the you've got the pupils coming in, and sitting down, it's more a controlled environment straight away, isn't there? There's less. Whereas in yeah. PE, there's more movement about. The gym halls
2: yeah, and, and outside. And I'm passionate, I'm really passionate to make sure that we share that idea of teaching as a complex endeavour. Um, and also, um, there's quite a lot of people, rightly or wrongly, or intentionally or not, actually try to oversimplify teaching all the time. So we end up, teachers themselves simplify teaching, um, but they, they do it for a particular reason. So they are in the mix of what we've just talked about uh, and they handle that every single day and they cope with it. Um, but when they're doing that they have to have things that are some shorthand they have to have shortcuts they have to have some knowledge that is is tacit that's implicit uh, so they simplify it not because they disrespect teaching in any way but they have to have shortcuts uh, and sometimes they do such a complex task and they do it so automatically it's very difficult for them to actually um, express or to even put names or labels on what they do and that that was one of the big, um, the big sort of final reveals of my PhD work where Mm. I ended up after observing teachers for over a year I spent time um, a good hour or two with them uh, having some interview work with them and ended up saying here's what you've done this is what I've mapped out as part of your practice over the course of the last year and every single person nodded their head and went I do that but you know what I couldn't have said it or I couldn't have expressed it or I couldn't have one person said bracketed it in such a way that I'm able to talk about it so I guess that's what teachers do they have to simplify because they have to perform uh, in that environment and governments oversimplify teaching too but possibly more intentionally and for different reasons where um, we're talking here that teachers teachers practice to the government maybe has to be straightforward because they need uh, kids to perform, they need kids to achieve, they need to attain um, and by talking that down um, by having a one-size-fits-all recipe about what teachers can do it might give them a chance of saying you know what if you do this it might help your kids attain well in the national qualifications and other assessments that happen and last point is researchers also oversimplify what teachers do and they have to um, because teaching as i've already mentioned is, is, a, is a complex act um, and the research tools they have are not sophisticated enough to capture all that complexity so they have to oversimplify they have to what Richard Terry would say, bracket things off and focus on certain things and not the whole picture because it's too messy. It's really uh,
0: difficult to measure.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's difficult to measure. Even if you are measuring it, you can measure certain parts but not the whole picture.
0: So many variables, isn't there? that's yeah, it.
2: So again, researchers oversimplify. Governments oversimplify to try and control the work that teachers do and try and make teaching out in terms of the professional nature of teaching, to make it quite straightforward. Mm-hmm. and try and control that and say that it's a recipe that might help you to, um, I guess, be successful. And teachers do it too, but not uh, intentionally. They, they've got their own short handle for a lot of the work they do that they sometimes can't express, but they actually do it practically, quite capably.
0: Yeah, I think um, uni prepares you so much. And then once you get into like you said like all the different scenarios you can be in as a PE teacher maybe one pupil's office sometimes cause these issues in the class and then they work well that period and then the next day you can be back in or you know just constantly chopping and changing and it's so unpredictable and yeah. I don't I think before you can once you've got all that nailed sometimes you need to get be able to manage all of that before you can actually get into sharing your knowledge and trying to educate yeah. Them, mm-hmm. and them. Yeah
2: yeah, like yeah yeah um, I've, I've, I love your example there, Lewis, as well. You just went, sometimes you crack it with a class for one day or there's a yeah. high point in a lesson and they come back the next week. And what other dynamics have happened, whoever's fallen out with whoever on the way to that mm-hmm. class, whoever you've um, yeah addressed a, a pupil or a, or a student or a learner in some way, how mm-hmm. that's interpreted and predicted mm-hmm. uh, or, or perceived by the learner it might not always be as intended. So, again, the, the possibility for change. Mm-hmm. always there.
1: I think Paul, you made a good point though about embracing the complexity of it and trying not to oversimplify it because in my head when I was probably a student and early on when I was in probation year, you would come in and just try and teach a lesson plan and be so conscious about teaching that and making sure they pick up the knowledge. But now things can happen when the get to the class, there are social issues, so it's just about dealing with that maybe for the first 10 minutes to try to get them in a, a position that they can learn.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I used to think I was a half-decent teacher until I graduated. Um, and then I went and worked in a department that had five other teachers that had been teaching for a lot longer than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, within the first week of my probation year, I just watched them and went, I'm nowhere near that. It's just the way they, um, before the lesson even starts, they're engaging kids. They're, um, they've yeah. got a way of handling a situation that's just de-escalates things. Um, the way of talking to kids that is about the lesson but about lots of other things outside of yeah. that and just that relationship building the way they get kids on side the way they negotiate certain things to happen yeah. uh-huh. um, at certain points in time so I used to just think if you ask kids to do things in the right way that it would just happen Doesn't um, when, it. I was, when I was a student and even <laughs> when I was a student teacher I'd be sitting with um, the sort of mentor teacher the classroom teacher who was there to watch me because I wasn't qualified yet I used to think you were, the kids were doing the practices and behaving and taking part because I was there, but it was actually because the person sitting over my shoulder um, it's actually probably because they were there. And I was riding on the back of their relationship and their um, sort of history with the class, really. So, uh, yeah, I think um, I didn't realise quite how complex things were and quite how challenging teaching was until um, i would taught for a few years and learned so much from more experienced teachers that were in the department. When I was just a new person there,
0: I always thought. See, when I've um, been observing, like P teachers in my school, as a, a teacher in particular, and see just the way that she gives out um, instructions and communicates, like her teaching points and stuff like that to the class, I'm just like, you just make it look so easy. Like yeah. you just make, like even for example, the one that I was like talking to her about was see, getting the pupils to when they're gathering data on their their skills, so doing like a general observation schedule. And see even just like we're a big class in Badminton, just trying to get that set up so smoothly and seamlessly. Like she makes it look so easy, but sometimes it can just take up it's so like it's it's just sometimes difficult to get them on task smoothly, is what I'm trying to say.
2: And, yeah, and some you're teachers like, oh, I, can, I can
0: yeah, I can go and do that. That's oh, that's easy. And then you go there and you're like, you can do it the
2: same way. Try yeah. and do it the same way and it might not work for you. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, Aye. Um, but it's,
2: it's so and that person might not be able to explain how it, how it works it, it just, just does just experience message, isn't yeah. it and just doing it totally.
1: once yeah so those small organizational things as well you need to take account of that you don't mm-hmm. think about until you actually start to teach it
2: um in terms of having them in their groups and stuff like that I'm worrying about numbers but so yeah, that be- was a nice um so that, that just for you're talking there clark it's um mm-hmm. part of the observation work i did for for phd was wasn't just in the lesson i didn't just turn up and watch the start of the lesson i was sort of There with the teacher in between lessons before the bell rang after the bell rang at lunchtime at the end of the day at break times Uh, so you get to see them not just how they are when they're on stage in front of a class but what they do to get the kids into the class what they do Mm -hmm. what Lewis was saying to get them started on a task so Mm -hmm. that sort of wider scene I guess was um, was also part of what happens and gets kids ready to take part and start the learning when when a lesson you know bell rings it's, it's a bit more Happens beforehand and afterwards yeah. to ship them in and ship them out, transition in and out of the classroom in between tasks. No,
1: there's much more that goes into it than just a lesson, isn't there? Yeah,
2: yeah absolutely. So in, t-
1: so in terms of like meeting the needs then of the young people in relation to PE and health and wellbeing objectives, you know, in terms of that, then what what features do you think are required to you know adapt teaching practices so we can do this?
2: Yeah, sure. It's um yeah it's a question that might take a little while but feel free to come back at me with follow-up questions um, yeah. something I'm really interested in too is part of um, this idea about yes okay teaching is complex but what, what can teachers do how can we respond what what features might be um, helpful for them to to sort of mix it uh, in that kind of situation and uh, those sort of environments and I've got I've got a paper out at the moment it's it's been accepted for publication but it's not um not published yet so it's, it's got one or two fine edits to do on it and it's in a, an art, in a journal called professional development and education uh, and the is about complex adaptive practice so what are the adaptive features that um, teachers can start to foster um, if they are to connect with this um, complex teaching set, setting or scenario that I've just been talking about and it's called Complex Adaptive Practice and the Potential of of Lesson Study. And I guess it frames, there's about four or five key concepts about adaptive practice that we talk about, Um, and that comes from um, complexity theory and from systems thinking. And One of the the ways that we can start to think about teachers um, is this idea about them as a self-organiser. So rather than presenting a teacher like some um, government documents do uh, as a technician or an operative that they just execute Practices. It's an idea here that teachers themselves are very capable um, of sense-making, uh, very capable of understanding their own situation and environment. Um, they might not always get it right, um, but they've got this capacity, this capability to self-organise and understand uh, what's appropriate uh, in context. And they'll get better and better at doing that as they get more and more opportunity. Uh, other features beyond phone organization is that we start to see teachers are not operating in a bit more of a nested setting, so rather than just seeing what they do in the classroom as part of um, what teaching is about, it's understanding that, yes, uh, there's an immediate classroom that they perform in, but they're also part of a, a department, of a school environment, of a local authority which probably has expectations and priorities. Um, a local authority in a national setting, again, cutting right out to what the expectations are of the democratic values of Scotland and CFE and how that's embodied within that, how they start to bring this, all this to life in the setting and you start to get more and more sense of uh, quite what they have to make sense of when you start to think about them not just being in the classroom or being an individual but how they have to interconnect and understand across uh, different nested contexts I guess. Uh, so part of the feature is to make sense of that, this idea of reflection is key. So yes, you can self-organize, but can you reflect on what you're, what you're experiencing? Can you inquire? Have you got the ability to, not maybe even formally, sometimes informally, have you got the ability to inquire, to investigate, to find solutions uh, and solve problems? Um, and can you make connections? Can you make connections uh, within the classroom with kids? Can you make connections across the school? Can you make connections with other colleagues uh, to try and get a community built up um, that... Have, the, the, with a bunch of colleagues that are there to challenge your own thinking and, and your uh, different ways of working, so quite a lot in there, I know. But it's a, it's an eight thousand word paper. But some of the key key ideas in there are: teachers can self organise; they they operate and teach within a, a sort of broad nested, different layered contexts, and the um, reflection, inquiry, and connected making connections are part of that um, idea about how they can become. Um, slightly more um, effective adaptive practitioners yeah.
0: this might seem like a, a silly question right but see like a practitioner inquiry I always have it like we did one when we were at uni and I always have this kind of belief almost that it's like this big massive project that you do and you've got to do all these findings and stuff could it be something as simple as trying out a new teaching model with a class and just seeing how that
2: works is that absolutely yeah absolutely Lewis I think um, I think ideas about and um, I'll talk about Practitioner inquiry, maybe less and study later if it comes up in conversation. But yeah, I think practitioner inquiry. I think it can it can be a big thing. It can go off and be a, a grand project that you have to do. Sometimes it can be externally driven by local authorities or because you're a probation you have to do one. Mm-hmm. I think all that's fine and helpful and you might learn the skills of doing it. But what we're talking about here is different degrees or different types of, of inquiry and of practitioner inquiry and i think um the work of of kate wall a uh, professor over at um, strathclyde um talks a lot about practitioner inquiry <clears throat> excuse me and has really um managed to present it as something that's happening as part of your everyday practice as well mm-hmm. um, the data collection isn't always a grand uh, add-on to your everyday practice in terms of what you're doing Uh, I think practitioner inquiry can be quite, it can be heavy going and it can be a big project and it can be like that, but it can also be quite small scale. Uh, It can be individual or it can be a collective group of individuals uh, inquiring together. Um, That doesn't have to be written up as an assignment. It doesn't have to be written up as um, a published piece of work in an academic journal. It might be that you do a small scale piece of work, like you say, Lewis, you experiment with a new teaching approach and you might gather some information about yourself and how that felt when you were doing it. Or you might speak to the kids, so you might get one of your colleagues to watch it, and you might summarise that and share it with your department. You might share it with another department. You might share it in service day, or you might have a little blog about it. So I think the idea of practitioner inquiry <clears throat> being more manageable and something that's happening more often than just a one-off um, project, mm. I think that's starting to shift in terms of um, what it is uh, if it's to become part of more more frequently in in teachers practice
0: yeah yeah that answers that definitely um i guess that kind of leads us on nicely to to my next question then so you spoke a little bit and um there about your kind of research on lesson study and the kind of data that you gathered um, also kind of observing the teachers not just solely in the class but like the preparation before it and then the, the kind of aftermath of it and all the kind of things that go into it. Could you tell us maybe a wee bit more in detail um, about your your research in lesson study and the yeah. kind of impact this has had on the learning experiences for teachers and pupils?
2: Yeah no, no worries absolutely just to make a distinction so um, I've so, I'm just arrived at lesson study more recently so um, because I, um, my Earlier P work, which finished um, 216, and that was just using observation. So I was the observer, and it was just using uh, unstructured and qualitative observation of teachers. But what that did was it sort of steered me towards seeing the power of observation. It was more what I'd learned as a a researcher about teaching, even though it wasn't about me, Um, but it was also um, what I could see um, some of the teachers are also at the same time. Especially in the early stages, are a bit apprehensive about being observed. So we're seeing potential in observation, but also being something that teachers are a little bit skeptical about in terms of what do you want to see and what you're looking for and how we're going to be judged by it. So it got me post PhD once I'd finished that. Uh, I was at a stage of thinking what what what's the next thing for me. So I'd done the study. I didn't want to go off observing people for the rest of my life. I, I really enjoyed that, but it's 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 quite emotionally draining and quite intensive. Um, and I wanted to see how teachers themselves could start to connect with observation and see it differently. So that's what led me on to lesson study. I started thinking about how can lessons, how can observation be used in a way that's um, a little bit more uh, user-friendly um, and a little bit more um, connected to teachers doing it themselves rather than other people always having to observe them. And I searched around and spoke to a few colleagues uh, with my colleague Mike Jess uh, we discovered that lesson study was a slightly different way of using observation uh, so lesson study uh, is what I'm sort of looking at and, and trying to work on at the moment um, and it's uses observation but it's a collective collaborative form of observation um, mm-hmm. so basically rather than seeing other people coming to observe you rather than your head teacher or your colleague coming to do it uh, it will start to get teachers to start to observe of each other so it starts to become observations part of this form of inquiry back to practitioner inquiry observation through lesson study starts to give you the potential for um the observations on any research that you do as part of lesson study for it to be ongoing um, and for it to be sort of on site so you're not going outside of school to learn about teaching you actually got a sort of context you've got some homegrown uh, context here that you can actually go off and start to learn within your own context with your own school in a real life setting with your own real life kids and um, so that was a way that you could use observation through lesson study and it's I think Pete Dudley is the big person in the UK that's sort of really brought lesson study um, over from America and over from Japan uh, and started talking about it in a way that's more for a UK audience um, and he says it's a deceptively simple way of teachers learning about teaching so it's it's collaborative, it uses observation, uh, and what it does is it gets teachers to collectively plan a lesson. So me, Lewis, and Clark sit down uh, as three P people, or maybe not three people, people could be a mixture of people right. We sit down together and we decide what it is you want to work on what's a, a sort of a thorny issue in our practice or something we're collectively interested in or something we want to have clerk with we have a, a focus of what we want to do and we sit down we maybe go off and look at a bit of research literature or some policies to get ideas on this and we collectively plan a lesson that's going to address some of the issues at hand we then go into a lesson and one of the three of us teaches that lesson And while that lesson's happening, one of us is teaching it, the other two people are observing kids in the class. And that's what turns observation on its head. We're not going to go watch Lewis teach the lesson. We're going to go watch the kids experiencing the lesson that the three of us have collectively planned. Uh, So that shifts the tension, it shifts the pressure off one person being observed, teaching a lesson they themselves have planned, to being about, let's look at the kids and how they're engaging with the lesson that the three of us have sat down and planned together mm-hmm. uh, while that lesson's on we'll have um, anywhere between one two three or four case pupils that will have identified for whatever reason as ones that we're going to really focus in on for the observation how are these people and that might be from a range of you might have a rationale that they're the top performer or the one or the, or the performer that needs to improve the most or, or the most motivated versus the people that we can't seem to motivate, we might have a various rationales about why we're looking at different pupils, we would observe those pupils and take notes about how they got on, what we're seeing the learners do in response to what we've planned and then once the lesson finishes we'll sit down and speak to those kids for five minutes and ask them a series of questions to understand what they got from or experienced in the lesson And then we'll get back together again. So three of us will get back together and and debrief, I guess, or have what's called a colloquium. We'll have a discussion. Uh, And that's what Pete Dudley says is where the magic happens. That's when we learn the most, when we're pulling ideas together, critiquing ideas in the lesson that we've all planned. And then you'll replan and refocus the lesson and try and do another cycle of it. So there's a a clear cycle to it from planning um, to observing to interviewing kids. To on a discussion, to re and refocus and sharing the findings as part of that. I
0: really like the so, idea of that.
2: And, and what happens is, practitioner inquiry is a great thing. You mentioned it earlier. It's a great thing, it's a great development. It's, it's, it's given teachers the scope and autonomy to go off and uh, research their own practice ideas. But if you just tell folk to go off and inquire, just go, inquire. If you do that, it's not necessarily going to be that focused. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's also not strictly going to be collaborative. So what lesson study does, rightly or wrongly, uh, I think it gives a frame for teachers who are not familiar with, collab- with, with, with inquiry, it gives them a frame about what to do uh, and, and stages that they can work around together. Uh, and it forces them to be collaborative. And research literature from Christie and, and others since the 1980s and 90s has told us that um, reflecting together is more powerful than reflecting alone. Uh, so mm-hmm. you come Absolutely. to that reflection at the end. You'll go places and you'll hear things and you'll challenge things that you wouldn't do by yourself because you either don't want to because you're, um, it's, it's something you just you're not prepared to go there, uh, or you can't see it. You're blinded by it, like what Clark was mentioning mm-hmm. earlier. So, so that it's collective uh, and it's collaborative and it's uh, and is there like a proper like a,
0: a framework that you can follow, like is there like guidelines on it? And
2: yeah, I mean, Pete Dudley's probably the person who's got. Um, in the UK, uh, he's got a book in 2015 that's called uh, Lesson Study, Professional Learning for Our Time, um, and that's a fairly easy accessible book. And he's also got a free to use uh, manual um, that he's got that um, you can download it from the World Association of Lesson Study, uh, and it's a PDF of a sort of user's guide with about 15, 20 pages of it that's got templates and questions you might use with kids. Uh, so it's quite practical in terms of how that might be used. Um, so yeah, it's a framework and there's some resources that are out there that can help people get started on it for the first time.
1: Brilliant. Yeah, I, 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 don't know what your th- I don't know what
2: your thoughts on this. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts on
1: what we did, Paul, um, at my school. So it was like a lesson study uh, designed by the PT from science and the PT from PE. So they got together and planned it. And then what happened was I would I would go and observe two science teachers. One, obviously, at separate times. And then two science teachers would come and observe me teaching teaching a lesson. And they had a checklist, like, so there was a rating, like one to six, on how well I did certain aspects of feedback, questioning. I think that was a kind of focus for it, as you said, but I quite like the idea about what you were saying, where the 3P teachers get together and observe. Um, yeah, I mean, you oh, can I'm do sorry, it with 3P teachers,
2: yeah. Yeah, you can do it with 3P teachers, and you could do it with, uh, I know some schools that I work with. Uh, I work with two... Um, Secondary schools, the whole school's doing it now. Um, one school's been doing it for five years. So predating the time when I connected them with them, I've been with them for about two years now. Um, and other schools just started it about two years down the line. And they've experimented around with it quite a bit. And they've had departments doing it, um, mm-hmm. PE departments, modern language departments, music departments, and so on. Uh, and they've had some sort of cross-department uh, studies as well uh, on common terminologies and I guess um, that paper I mentioned earlier that I've got with Mike Jess and professional development and education the end of that paper um, basically says if we want to start to do the sort of cross departmental work that you talked about there Clark um, we might need a common language I think there's so many different ways that we talk about teaching uh, and that complex adaptive frame we're saying that might be a way that we can get experienced teachers um, to have a common language about um, the practice and lesson study it might be a way of of engaging
1: yeah. with that as well. Yeah, I found it useful just seeing how they manage behaviour in a classroom setting. So I don't, I've not had a lot of experience teaching in the classroom, obviously, because I'm a PE teacher. Um, but with my national class, I definitely picked up some strategies that I could take into that. But I can send you that on, Lewis. I've got like mm. the format that we used. Yeah, no,
0: that'd be good. I, I really do fancy doing the that lesson study thing. I think that sounds great. And it, like you said, if it's a collective effort with the planning, it almost takes that kind of burden off of you getting observed like you're yeah you, it's not your it's not your sole responsibility Everybody's had a say in the planning so if something goes wrong then it's not it's not like the spotlight's not directly on you and i guess that can be nice for for some people and
2: yeah, yeah. And, and there's a real sort of way that you can learn from it so yeah, other ways that observation gets used it's, it's usually a sort of one-off high stakes where you're usually, well, every time I, the schools that I work with lesson study, one of them is quite far to the line, but one of them is quite close um, to the start. living two years in, so we been there with them from the very start. But trying to explain lesson study to them, uh, you always got to go and talk about observation because they're, they're using it in a way, or they're used to being observed in a way that makes them quite uncomfortable. So they're being observed once a year by the head teacher or someone from the senior management team. Uh, using some kind of checklist and they'll end up getting a pat on the back or an email that says well done you can still be a teacher you've passed almost and then they walk off and there's nothing that they really get from it apart from a lot of anxiety and there's a bit of research literature that says that observation in that format makes teachers highly anxious um, in that sense so yeah so I think it flips observation on its head and as Lewis was saying it's quite it's quite inviting it's quite um, collegiate it's quite um non-threatening in a way um, and there's a lot we can learn from it once we've debriefed and discussed it so, so yeah. i just see a lot of potential for, for teachers learning from observation and we can do this in your own school you don't have to go to a fancy course to do it and um, you don't have to do an experiment in any way uh, you're not doing it all by yourself i just see the scope here and um, and it's starting to get a bit of traction lesson study um, there's a few schools um, starting to talk about lesson study in the as part of what schools might try and do uh, in terms of teacher learning
1: mm-hmm. I
0: suppose you could kind of do it across schools as well it doesn't necessarily need to be in your school, like you and I could plan a lesson and go and deliver it, see how it went have a wee bit of discussion yeah. about it and you know, like it doesn't I know if I'm
1: coming up to see Technology you, I you do to kids like what the answers are before I come yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're thinking there <laughs>
0: you'll, be, you'll be checking your phone for the answers during the lesson <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, you could do that with technology though there's a few folk i uh, see on twitter at the moment there's um, there's some people doing a lesson study over twitter at the moment they' because we're in lockdown and people are not able to meet up and uh, things are a bit more restricted they're, um, they're doing a, a, a lesson study uh, in primary schools on twitter at the moment and they're um, getting together on twitter and suggesting ideas and then a lesson they're going to go off and plan and teach it and then come back it's not mm. quite strictly, truly lesson study in its original traditional form. But hey, um, it's an adapted, maybe contemporary variation, which yeah, is quite I suppose we could, have,
1: we could maybe have an episode on a teaching model, and then we could get some teachers on to talk about how the felt it went. That could mm. be an option as well. Are you, yeah, you, you to sign
2: me up for another episode here. Uh, there, awesome. there we go. Uh,
1: we'll get you da- we'll get your pencil in. Uh,
2: crikey.
0: That kind of answered my my follow up question then, Paul. Kind of about how how this license studies helped others shape their practice. I guess like by saying it kind of takes that pressure off and reduces anxieties and things like that. So, um, no, that was really interesting. I really really like that. So that kind of leads me to my next question. Then, what steps, in your opinion, can PE teachers take to improve their practice as a department and school, or what support do you feel that they might need?
2: Um, yeah, it's it's covering some similar things that i've said already i'm not a broken record so uh, i'll try not to be anyway um yeah just uh, i think teachers have to work together and i think uh, p departments especially but other departments too um uh, teachers are are together quite a lot uh, and have quite a lot of informal time so so just working together informally listening talking discussing um supporting each other um through the good times and bad times, I think that informal support, the way that we informally learn from each other, um, I think that's starting to be recognised as a way that we, we're also learning all the time. We're not just learning when we go off on a, our on a course and learn from some outside expert that's been paid a lot of money to come and talk to us. I think there's a lot of homegrown um, knowledge that, that, that lives in P departments. So doing that formally, informally, uh, together, having a chat, or even just putting on um, little episodes and professional learning within your department. I think that's quite important to improve practice and support each other. And I think formally, and uh, not that I'm overly uh, biased or anything, but I think um, to engage with forms of practitioner inquiry that are manageable, achievable, and sort of connect with the rhythms of school life. So not forcing practitioner inquiry in a formal sense, and um, that's going to overburden um, and teachers the students an add-on, but trying to integrate that um, into the school, into the department, uh, I think some way that we can start to learn collectively, learn together. And it doesn't mean to say if the three of us are in a a department, it doesn't mean to say we all have to be going off and doing lesson study all at the same time. It might be that we take a turn and do it at different points. Um, And because Lewis is involved in a lesson study with other teachers in the department or not, because you're doing it and you're gonna come back and share the findings with us, we're almost learning from your lesson study in the same sense that collectively, as a sort of learning community, we might also learn if I was to do one and also share it back with your department or someone else's. And I think uh, doing that in P department is important. Doing that as a whole school is quite important. And some of the certainly the second school that's two years down the line that I work with, just breaking down the idea that they're not going to have to having to be inquiring, using less study or another form of inquiry every single day of the of the lives is a, as a step forward. That if you see the whole school as a Professional learning community. Um, it might be the P department do a lesson study and we understand and we can find out key ideas and we share them back at us and in service day, but it might be another department do it at another point in the year. So I don't think we all have to be inquiring all at the same time like a set of busy bees. I think there's a way that we can inquire in sort of stages and staggered patterns and where we can all start to feedback ideas that we all start to learn from rather than individually or as a one department. And a little silo going in and learning things that you're not going to go share with other people. So
0: I think um, you made a really good point there about um, working together and how important that is because that was a good example from last night, wasn't it? Just purely because P is such so subjective. It's all opinions and um there was, was a wee moderation task on section one of the, the Nat Five portfolio. Yeah. And then um, all the teachers were kind of coming together with loads of different um marks that they'd have given section one out of out of eight. And it's again, yeah. it's just that working together so there is that consistency across across the board and yeah. doing things like that even just really helps. And then obviously you've got the subjective element of observing a performance as well. Something I think yeah. might be good could be vary from what you think and
1: very from what Clark thinks. So, so I think we're going to... Vid- so it makes doing, it challenging. We're going to video our performances this year just so we can moderate them in case we yeah. get them verified. Um,
2: yeah. We can see how you... Pair
1: connect with that as well. Yeah, it will be. But I think you made a. What I was thinking about there when you were saying how important informal communication is, I've seen. I, I think we've seen after COVID come back in August and certainly my school how important that is because it's not been as easy. Because we've got like a split base just now, so the communication yeah. line not the same as what it would have been um, pre-COVID. I feel as if that's had an impact um, negatively. I would say, personally speaking. So, I think no. that puts sheds a light on that and how important that is
2: yeah it was um yeah just when you're talking there about, about covid and the way that people have been sort of separated in departments and yeah. the communication lines are not there and um, so i've got these two lesson study schools that and five years ago one of them started doing lesson study with one department and it's sort of developed into the whole school agenda voluntary teachers have sort of done it more and more, and then talked to each other, shared the findings, and more and more people have said, we want to do it. So there's this voluntary way that after five years, every single department were on board with it, but they've not been forced to do it. Same as the second school, one department started it two years ago, did a pilot study. It's now been invited for other departments to take part, and they are starting to take part. Um, and I thought when COVID um, started to take a grip and things were restricted, and then I just thought during lockdown, full lockdown that that i wouldn't really there would be no inquiry happening in these schools at all um and then just dropped an email to two of them to both the schools that the two leaders in the school saying yeah i realized you might not be seeing each other for a while but if you're are doing anything with lesson study let me know and both got back and said "Yeah, yeah we're doing stuff for lesson study one school is doing it on um teachers are going how they're going to understand their um, almost a digital teacher and how they teach and um, either because they were doing it so much in the summer or they're maybe thinking it might happen again in the future they're going to look at how you can make uh, online um, online teaching with kids in school how you can how they can improve the practice that's what one school are going to do uh, the other school I guess that school's also got some kids that are not in all all, all weeks so they've got some seniors that are out and alternating and rotating around so they're still teaching some kids uh, up in the upper school uh, online through um, different platforms so they're looking at how to make that practice better and they're doing it through a lesson study collectively planning and the second school um, they're they're doing something similar they're starting to look at um, wider schools doing it understanding how you can teach in a social distance way so they're using lesson study to again connect in with uh, real life issues at the face of that they're faced with at the moment and I oh. thought inquiry would stop. I thought they would say, I've got time to do this. They're actually saying, no, we've got a real life crisis at the moment. Mm-hmm. How can we use future. this this thing everyone's familiar with called Lesson Study? How can we use that to get better at how, what we're having to do in the current situation? So it's quite encouraging, really.
0: Yeah, it seems really uh, relevant at the moment, doesn't it? Like, all the more.
2: I like that attitude towards it yeah I was, it took me by took me, caught me off guard actually not that I've had any um, doubts about the school's commitment to it it was just given how serious the crisis was and has been and still could be um, yeah it just, just sort of showed how much um, the lesson study commitments are part of solving some of the sort of mysteries of teaching and challenges yeah. they have.
1: It shows you how flexible the model is and it can be used for so many different things.
2: Yeah 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 definitely and I think I've just while I'm talking quite positively about it in terms of the schools and in terms of what it can do and quite quite descriptively about how how grown it is. I'm not saying it's going to unravel all that complexity that I, I talked about at the start. So I've just told you lots of people say teaching is complex. We need to celebrate that. I'm not in any way saying we've got lesson study and that will unravel and unlock all the mysteries that are there. There's um, sort of we're aware and there's a really nice paper that's just come out from from colleagues about lesson study and that's really important just to throw in here so folks don't think i'm some kind of uh, lesson study sort of brainwashed person who doesn't think it's in any way uh, limited uh, there's a really good paper that's from uh, hervaster medina and it's just been published in 2020 uh, and they say teaching is they also agree that teaching is really complex and they also say that Leicester Study has potential. Um, but they're not seeing it as being able to completely um, provide all the answers to some of the complexity. But they've got some nice passages in, in the paper and they start to say what Lesson Study might be able to do is start to look at uh, pinch points in a lesson, the bits that are tricky, the bits that you're having difficulty with. It's not saying it's going to um, change the world, but it's saying if you start to look at these pinch points um, cumulatively over a long, long time, uh, one of their quotations is that um, small changes um, over time can generate uh, and can eventually start generating a real impact on on pupil learning. So there's an idea here that lesson study is has got potential, but it's not uh, going to be able to completely solve all the problems and all the stigmas of teaching. Um, but it's got potential to look at pinch points and pressure points uh, and mysteries that you're trying to unravel, uh, and looking at some of these. Tricky areas and tricky topics that you come up with in your teaching and challenges you get. It might be that one cycle of lesson study isn't going to isn't going to, isn't going to solve it. It might take a number of cycles um, as part of that and, and part of that same paper uh, from Hervas uh, And Medina, at the end up saying that it could be possible given how complex teaching is that you could do the same lesson and tweak it over and over again and never end up with with a final finished idea about what you're thinking so uh, so that's quite an interesting paper and quite an important point that uh, while there's see potential uh, we're not naive to assume uh, that Leicester study is going to be able to unlock all the complexities that uh, people have discussed and talked about for a long long time.
0: It's just another tool isn't it like that's right like you're saying it's not got all the answers but it's something that's beneficial and just another thing that can be used and tested
2: yeah and it's it's only as good as the people that are using the tool yeah, so exactly. you know I, me the three of us could go and say we've done 10 cycles of lesson study um but if we're not going to uh, do some real deep critical thinking and reflection and some open and honest evaluations of what happened um it's again it'll only be as good as the people that are doing it and, and then there's there's other research that su- suggests from Bokala and so on that, that, that beginners experience the lesson study cycle differently from experienced people. So if you've done a lot of lesson study, you will experience lesson study differently from someone doing it for the first time, obviously. Uh, if you're a really experienced teacher in general, um, you will experience lesson study in the cycle completely different from a novice. Um, and again, as you go around that cycle that I explained um, I think that as we go around it, uh, I don't think we're all going around in a nice straight line. I think there's a lot of messiness and uncertainties and frustrations that might be part of that teacher learning process. And uh, I think it's important just to mention that as well, that it's not a smooth, linear journey to understanding teaching. Um, I think there's a lot of bumps in the road as part of it. Yeah.
1: I think it's
2: just another part of the big puzzle that we're trying to solve, and yeah, <laughs> I think it's, it's nice. an ongoing. There's a really nice line that might actually be from Skyfall, the James Bond film, when Q says something like, um, "Yeah, it's like a Rubik's, like trying a Rubik's cube that's fighting back against you." That's mm-hmm. a nice yeah. idea about it what teaching is. You, or it's like your golf swing or whatever—you're trying to always fix it, but it always throws another problem back at you. So, yeah, yeah. a Rubik's cube that's fighting back against you—that's how I like to think about teaching sometimes. <laughs>
1: I like that one. How's your golf, Lewis? By the way, is it getting better?
2: Uh, hopeless. Know? Hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, the handicap? What's the handicap? Oh no, no I handy. don't even.
0: I don't even have a membership oh, anyway. That's, that's, I'm, that's I'm, I'm like not an a avid golfer. I'm not an avid golfer, but I do. Um, my, dad, my dad's my dad's a keen golfer, so I sometimes go out with him when I it's the, the later night. My fair weather one. I
2: only like to go twice a year when the weather's nice. <laughs> so I'm handicap, i am not a handicap. And and then
0: complain all the way around because you kind of hit the ball, but you only play twice a year. A bit but the familiar. sun's out,
2: which is the main thing.
1: <laughs> no, definitely. I know his dad doesn't let him back out playing with him anymore because he kept losing all his balls. I
2: always go with good golfers. <laughs> <laughs> they, can get, they can get a laugh and they can sit, supply me with all their gear. <laughs> <I> mean,
1: <laughs> no, so I think for as long as you will be teaching, I don't think there'll ever be anything that can solve all the problems. Um, it's just a bit kind of a mixture of things, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, just battling away, um, getting some wins here, and yeah, some wins yeah. there, and go back to the drawing board. At other times, um, but this this some really positive um, movements on lesson study, teaching inquiry. There's um, some nice ideas that more contemporary ideas about teaching styles, methods, models that are a bit more flexible than not going to be enacted in a sort of rigid. Um, straightforward way that you've got a little bit of scope to change these and personalize them so we'll certainly see things become Good. a bit more driven by teachers Good, that's what we want
1: Definitely. Well, lastly then in, in your opinion paul what makes a high quality teacher
2: okay Wow. Well, how long have you got i won't be too long but um yeah i just think i think adaptability i'll go back to i've talked about Teachers complex, lessons study might be helpful. Complex adaptive practice is the following. Um, and outline outlined what, what we find out in that paper um, with Mike Jess uh, in professional development and education. But uh, I just think being adaptive is really important. And I think um, various uh, scholars have, have outlined that that's one of the sort of key ingredients of teachers staying in the game for a long, long time and teachers handling uncertainty. Um, so again, you can be adaptive, one that can reflect... You can inquire, find solutions to problems, persevere when things are difficult, um, and just be aware of circumstances and be able to either change and act on those if it's possible, or find ways to um, fit your practice to the demands that are in front of you so I think adaptive practices is, is really important for um, young teachers, new teachers, future teachers, um, I think it's one of the qualities of of being Highly competent or really good teacher. Mm-hmm. Can you guys, are you guys, adaptable. Pretty sure you are. Yeah, I think we need to be just now. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, that's
2: kind of highlighted. Yeah, that's been the one. I think teachers do it all the time, but it just—it's not something that that we like to shout out about. It's just what teachers do. Um, yeah. And and there's some literature there that, that talks about the adaptive teacher and adaptive practitioner. Um, Helen Temple's work and um, Faircloth's work and so on in the states. Um, I think it's just really important to acknowledge that teachers because are of, like,
1: adaptive, thinking on your feet, yeah. aren't
0: you, like all the
2: time? Yeah, yeah. There's only
1: so much you can plan. Like I think after we went back after August, there's so many new protocols yeah. and procedures. And it was if it was heavy rain, you had to have another lesson up your sleeve for indoors. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. almost doing double the work. But um, hopefully, it's just for the short term and that side
2: of it. But making up that, some more
0: ori- orienteering maps. What have you. <laughs> <laughs> QR, QR code, yeah, uh, there's been some pretty
2: interesting stuff that's been on social media uh, yeah no there's, some, there's a good
0: there's a good, a good a good app for orienteering i see I, I didn't use it personally but i seen a lot of people had been using this app that planned all their orienteering for them and i think it gave like wow. a kind of, some different ideas isn't it? so there's a lot of stuff out there for him um, what's
2: Brilliant. just happened yeah so. yeah I'm pretty, um, sure murray, I'm pretty sure murray craig was talking about that when he was on yeah, a bit of technology. I'm sure, I'm sure he's coming yeah. on soon.
0: Aye, he's, he's big on, been that. on Yeah, he's been on. We had him on. Hey, I think that was uh, had him on. A, a He behaved of, himself. Uh-huh. His will be live soon. It was good. Aye, Clark, just, Clark um, messaged him to see if he could come on a wee bit earlier because we wanted to watch the Scotland game. I like Clark <laughs> do that. <doesn't> he? <laughs> 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 he was yeah, open yeah. and honest about it though, so all good.
2: Oh, brilliant. I know. stuff.
0: Um, so at the end of our podcast, Paul, we always have a week kind a of quick fire round of three questions. So it's just three. Okay, oh, yeah, go for just, it. Just for a wee bit of fun. So, um, if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown or anywhere in the world, what would it say on it? Uh, and it doesn't probably, even need to be related to teaching. So anything.
2: Yeah, I'd probably just be kind, be nice, be respectful, have good manners. I guess um, I get pretty annoyed when people. Don't do those things, and I always try and do those things myself. But even though people don't do them, I don't stop doing them myself either. So, yeah, just be nice, be kind, be thoughtful, have good manners. I think way.
0: Yeah, yeah, brilliant. What book books?
2: What about yourselves? What about yourselves?
0: If Carl, you can go first, if you could have I a, just to... if you could have a, uh, like sh- Douglas.
1: Work hard in the dark
2: so you can shine bright in the light. Oh, that's a slogan. That, that should be, be on way. someone's back uh, of their car, I think. That's <laughs> on the my, back of mine.
0: <laughs> my, my, mine should be, uh, make the most of your mornings. If you lose an hour yes. in the morning, you, you spend the rest of the day catching up. So I like to yeah, get up early nice and get yeah, all that's
1: good. Very good. I, I okay. thought, uh, that actually lines quite well to mine, working, dark, working hard, hard in the dark in the morning. i the summer. summer is it's, is, it's is it the moment? <laughs> 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 that only applies uh, in the winter uh, it's the summer I'm
0: you're right
2: oh brilliant
0: number 2 <laughs> what book or books have had the greatest influence on your life um
2: i've, I've actually had to th- I had to answer that uh, a few weeks ago so i've got i've got something on that um I think I think the book that had an impact on my life uh, was when I was a young kid, uh, and I read uh, the Edwighten book called The Faraway Tree. It was the first book that I ever read from start to finish by myself, and it's the first book that actually sucked me in uh, to read it and read it properly, and not want to put it down. Um, and up until that point, um, I'd always always just thought I wasn't a reader, and always thought I didn't like reading, and I just couldn't sit still for long enough. Um, and that was the first book that I thought it's so maybe not me that's not a good reader it's it's the books that you have to read that have to be engaging so yeah so that's a book that I've never forgot Um probably about I'm in my early 40s now so we're talking 30 odd years ago now um, so, and so
0: there's nothing worse when you start a book and you need to try and force yourself to read it
2: yeah 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 we're not having that so no definitely not yeah right? that'll be about 35 years ago
0: yeah i right. so it's um had an impact then it stuck with you that long yeah, yeah. Um, right number three then what advice would you give to a student teacher about to enter the working world or what advice do you feel they should ignore if
1: any
2: um, wow um, I would I would ignore I would ignore a lot um, I would ignore quite a bit actually I, you're the first person to
1: give us this aspect of it because yeah. we all always, always debate whether we should ask that side of the question
2: no I would ignore the sort of don't smile to Christmas type stuff and I just think, you know, not smiling at kids, not trying to get to know them. Um, I, just, I just think, criminal. Start, that, start that straight away, um, building those relations and getting to know kids and being a, approachable and um, relatable, I guess, is, is really important. So I would, I would ignore that and don't smile at words until uh, Christmas stuff. Um, and what I would advise them to do, uh, this is another piece of research I'm interested in that's recently been published, it's about teacher vision. Um, and I guess it's another follow-on as I see it from PhD work so um, my PhD work as I've mentioned was about observing teachers and watching what they were doing but there was there was an idea about well why are they doing it and what drives them to do that in that way yeah there was stuff about context and who they were Um, but I think uh, having a vision is really important for, for physical education and for education and for that PE vision to have an educational angle to it um, and to be really able to articulate your vision so uh, I just think about myself as a young teacher it took me a long time to understand what physical education was and sometimes you got caught in the hot when another uh, when teacher said well is it really a part of school uh, is that really a school subject and is that all you do is teach games all day uh, so I just think having a vision that you're really ready to, to advocate for your subject on to that includes kids when kids are saying why we're we doing this in PE today and you've got a clear rationale about well this is why we're doing it and that means to other teachers and it means to parents at parents night It means to your head teacher when they try and tell you that P is something different from what you believe and um, so I think having a vision uh, having a clear vision we do that um, and a really um, it's a key part of our MA program getting students to be able to articulate a vision and where it's come from and how it's personal to them and I think that's what I would um, would advocate and what I would suggest is a really helpful um, thing to have in your toolbox. And I'm happy to come on and talk about vision at some point again in the future. If you're struggling for anyone to fill a spot. No, that's, that's
0: a, a brilliant piece of advice. Can I just ask you one final question then? How how long or how many years did you take before you felt competent as a as a teacher? Like fully competent. You went in and <laughs> you like uh,
2: um I guess probably never really not that yeah. I'm sort of defeatist or anything, but um I thought, I thought I was brilliant uh, I'm not I would admit that openly now when I was an undergrad and I was a student and um, it was in the days where you got all your placements ass- assessed and you got, got an A first year second year third year fourth year Um all the people that I went to the school said I was a great teacher and I was an A student uh, and then went in the real world and realized I wasn't really that good at all um, and I had a misguided idea about how good it was, um, saw teachers teaching, the, the people I mentioned earlier at my my school that I taught in for six years, saw people that were real teachers that were experienced uh, and just learned had my eyes really opened and I guess I was constantly scrambling to uh, learn and develop um, and even still now I'm, I've been teaching higher ed since 2009 so over 10 years and Still got a lot to learn. And yeah. Still got a lot to do. So I guess there's certain things that I'm really comfortable with and I really enjoy doing, but you're constantly being dragged into new things, different things that you're mm-hmm. um, you may, or may not know that much about. And so yeah, I guess i a few years. I'm still yeah. working on it at the moment.
0: I think that's quite um, powerful. Then that's a, a lovely way to end it. Then it's never never the well, finished product.
2: And that's genuine. That's straight up. So yeah, I, mean, um, I think uh, I think you're making the
1: point, earlier that. That's complex and being comfortable with that complexity has helped it's going to help me moving forward as well and yeah. that unpredictability
2: well i think we can make that connection clark back to saying teachers complex and saying i'm not the finished article liver i didn't really make that tie that together yeah. so you've obviously got a rare skill in the podcast in as well good job well,
1: we're, we're doing our best
0: All right <laughs> always learning Hey, well, thanks a lot, Paul, for agreeing to do this with us today. We really appreciate your time, and we're sure this will help the current teachers across the country, and obviously the next kind of generation of student teachers coming through. So, thanks again.
2: No, brilliant. Thank you so much for asking me to come on, and um, great job with the podcast. I think it's a great thing for teachers and student teachers, and, and, and folk beyond that as well. So, really enjoyed it. Great job. Thank you for having me, and happy to come on again at some point in the future. Yeah, we'll, yeah, well keep good in touch. touch. That was well, excellent. Thanks. We'll, for, we'll hold you to, we'll to that Brilliant.
0: No Cut. worries. Right, so each week, um, as you all now know, we have our key takeaway messages from both your hosts. Uh, a very, very enjoyable episode there in chat with Paul McMillan from the University of Edinburgh, where he was kind of talking to us about lesson study and the, the research he was doing on this um, about teachers collectively planning lessons um, one teacher will teach the lesson and then they will kind of reflect on it as a group and I think that's a really good idea, kind of takes the pressure off of a standard lesson observation and um, reduces the anxieties and stuff like that. Like so Observing the kids rather than the teacher. Aye, that's it, the, the teachers mm. um, it's irrelevant, it's, it's the kids that are looking at and says you can be, you can have loads of different focal points for it, you can be looking at the high flyers you can be looking at the ones that are unmotivated things like that, so I think
1: that's a Something I would I would really love to try, actually. Something you could lead on within your school? No, but the reason we do the key takeaway message is just to summarise what the, the, the guest has said. We're not really... This isn't our opinion. It's just trying to summarise it so you can take something away from the podcast. Um, it helps us take, take it away as well, so hopefully it'll help you. My key takeaway message would be, Lewis, the, the idea around the, the informal learning that can happen within school and the importance of that you know it doesn't need to be a departmental meeting um, there's not been many of them in my school this year been one or two and we've still been able to work well as a team share problems uh, share lesson ideas in an informal way out within the, within the department and obviously outside it as well because we've got a split base so it's just really emphasising the importance of these informal conversations in terms of picking up wee insights and ideas for your lessons or reflecting as um, Paul spoke about the importance of reflecting and inquiring in your practice and then sharing that with others I, th- I think that's the whole idea and the uh, purpose of our job really.
0: Mm-hmm. No, definitely I think um, like, like I was saying to you earlier how valuable those wee chats are even if it's not even to do with um, specifically like the, the teaching or whatever so you're just having a, a chat about like, for example, on my drive home, I'll like, phone you and we'll chat about just things informally about your day at work. Yeah, the sport education model. Aye, uh, right, but... just, just anything at all. It's just those wee kind of interactions that, if you're doing it all the time, I think help. Makes you feel a wee bit better about things. Um,
1: can you get wee insights as well, don't you?
0: Mm-hmm, that's like, all. Oh, that. so,
1: can it be light bulb moments? Just light bulb moments. It's like in the way home today in the car, like you were talking to me about the the sport education what? model and the different roles in that that they have and and how (laughs) you were adapting it and how you were working the transfer window so Uh,
0: I was trying to keep it professional and you were talking to me about that the the latest TikTok that you made so (laughs) what
1: was it I I can boogie (laughs) yes sir no I've got any TikTok recently um rightly or wrongly but I know it was more it was more (laughs) it was more in the limelight in lockdown but I've just kind of taken a Thing i liken to it Even more so that Scotland have qualified, you'll be making up all your, your Scotland TikToks. No, but I think
0: we've um kind of off track there a wee bit. But I that would be our kind of takeaway messages from today's episode. Um I think less, the lesson study idea is something that can be taken away from this episode and tried at your school. Doesn't seem too complicated to to implement it. Um it's just finding, like Paul said, doing it purposefully, actually finding something that as a barrier or something that's you're finding challenging, and you just can't quite crack, and setting it up as a group and trying to go for it and seeing if you can can put that piece of the puzzle together. So I think it's a really good idea. Um, yeah, makes it all uh, the better working find, with a
1: group of people. So absolutely it makes it much more purposeful. Is uh, if you want to find Paul McMillan on Twitter, um, he's at pedagogy paul. Um, if you want to find out more about him in general or his um, teaching approaches and the work that he does at the university of edinburgh and i would also recommend that you or i'm going to go and read the, the journals that he was talking about by mike mm-hmm. jess and i'm sure if you, if
0: you had any questions for him he would be more than happy to to answer them as well so yeah great guy great chat and ultimately a great episode really enjoyed that one so that kind of leads us to the, to the end of today's episode. Uh, thanks again for tuning in and listening. We hope you kind of took something from it. Um, it's been great having these chats and obviously taking some different pieces of knowledge every single week and trying to implement it within our, our own teaching practice. So until next time, we hope you all have a great week and take care. Bye-bye.